that we are righteous. But we do humble ourselves before you, Lord. And we pray for our land. We pray for our president and those that are in authority. We pray for his advisors. We pray, Father, that the eyes of all of those people would be opened and that they would know that you are the most high God, the creator of heaven and earth, and the deliverer from all of our enemies. We bless you, Father. We thank you for your great plan of redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to start back with some scripture we've been using for the last several weeks in Revelation chapter 12. (coughs) Excuse me. Revelation chapter 12 is talking about the devil's work against the people of God. It refers some, uh, in some specific ways to the land of Israel, the nation of Israel. But then it also incorporates information that lets us know that this is concerning the church as well. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and seven horns, or seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was about to be ready to be delivered for to devour the child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and unto his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God. And the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Well, we can see then this is not just talking about Israel alone. Those that have received the blood of the Lamb uh, makes up the church. So this is not only the devil warring against Israel but warring against the people of God or against the church. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Wherefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that that he was cast into the earth, He persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, 
where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood <coughs> which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Notice the seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, that's the, the church. That's not Israel. Israel doesn't claim the testimony of Jesus or rely on the blood of the Lamb. They will, but they don't at present. Now, I want you to recognize something. Notice it said, we saw two things. We saw that it said that uh, Satan deceives the whole world. And then we saw that he increases his efforts because he knows his time is short. Well, what does that mean? Jesus identified that there were five things that the devil used, five tools that the devil used to make the word of God unfruitful in the lives of his children. He was talking about in Mark chapter 4 where he referred to the sower sowing the word and the, prince, the, uh, the parable concerning the sower sowing the word. And he mentioned five things that were used by the devil against the word of God or against the people of God so that his word, God's word, didn't prevail in their lives. He talked about the stony ground, how that it didn't have much depth of earth or much moisture. In other words, people aren't, uh, the people that hear the word were not continuing in the word or confessing the word. And he said, when affliction or persecution arises, they are offended. So the devil uses affliction and persecution. That's trouble according to, to uh, circumstances and trouble according to people. That's enough to make some people give up on the word and turn back. Then he talked about the, the, uh, thorny, uh, the, uh, yeah, the thorny ground where the word of God was choked out. And he said the devil used three things to choke the word out in that respect. He used the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things. So the stony ground had to watch out for, and, and by principle so do we, have to watch out for the trouble that the devil brings against our lives in circumstances or difficulties or adversities. And then trouble that's stirred up by persecution, by people. The thorny ground had to guard against distraction. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things. Now, when we know that the, that the Bible tells us, and, and why don't you turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6. If we know that the devil uses deception, and, and the Bible tells us really that that's all he has to use. If he uses deception... But he increases his efforts in the last days. What does that mean? Does that mean he lies more? Does that mean he tells bigger lies? Lying and deceitfulness is the only thing that he has. But if the people of God come to realize who they are, then the devil's lies really don't matter. I'll prove that to you in principle. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
Doesn't say a thing in the world about you being strong in you. In other words, the strength that we're to be strong in is supplied by God, not by ourselves. And what that means is any of us, all of us, no matter where we come from, no matter what nationality we are, no matter what the circumstances of our previous life or our past include, none of those things make any difference or none of those things are sufficient to keep us, any of us, all of us, from being strong in the Lord and defeating the devil. Some people have the idea that others just have more than they do spiritually. And because of that, they succeed, in, whereas the individual fails. But folks, we all have access to the same strength. We all have access to the same power of God. We all have access to the same word of God. So it's not a matter of what God chooses for us. He chose for all of us to be victorious in every area of life. That decision has already been made on his end. The only question is, what are you and I going to do? What responsibility are we going to take concerning the word and the name of Jesus? Strength is determined by the individual, not by God. God equips the individual, equips every individual to be strong if they'll take responsibility for themselves and do what the Bible says to do. So whether you're strong or weak depends on your choice, not God's. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles literally means traveling over. In other words, Paul, by the Holy Ghost, is telling us there's one and only one road the devil travels. And that's the road of deception. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly or high places. It's telling us what the Bible refers to in other places about how the devil works against the people of God. Again, as we read in Revelation 12, making war against the people of God, against the church, persecuting Israel in every way that they can by influencing people through these principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. The last two on that list have to refer to the devil's influence in the spiritual realm through what he said was his main base of operation through government. You remember when Jesus was tempted of the devil, spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting. After those 40 days where Jesus was spending time alone with God, the devil came and he tempted him first with physical food if you're the son of God, make these stones into bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, folks, if Jesus' method of defeating the temptation that the devil brought to him was quoting or confessing the word of God, then what do we think our means of victory is going to be? Now, here's how you can be strong in the Lord. You can confess the word of God in the face of temptation or adversity or persecution or distraction. You can confess the word of God no matter how you feel. Yeah. 
Jesus didn't impose the knowledge of himself to overcome the devil's temptation. He didn't say, now, wait a minute. You know who I am. Think about this, folks. Satan is a created being. And so here's the created being tempting the creator. But Jesus didn't use his position or his former position as creator of the earth. He didn't say, because I am the son of God and because I am righteous, be gone. He answered from the word. It is written. It is written. Whatever the word of God is written about you and your situation or your circumstances at the present is given to you to be used as a, as a weapon. To serve as a weapon to overcome the devil. Well, then secondly, it tells us that Jesus, the devil took Jesus to a high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the earth in a moment of time. And he said to him, all these things I'll give you if you'll bow down and worship me. He also mentioned that it had been delivered unto him. Now, a lot of people like the idea that since the devil is the father of lies, these temptations were a lie. But if the temptations were a lie and Jesus knew they were lies and went along with them, then he becomes a partner to the lie. Did you get that? If these temptations were a lie and the things that the devil said would come to pass really wouldn't come to pass, if Jesus treated them as if they were true or real temptations when they were not, then Jesus becomes partner to the fraud that the devil has imposed. Well, if the devil identifies that the kingdoms of the world had been delivered unto him, then who's in charge? Who's running things down here on the earth? Well, if we consider it from that point of view, if the devil is controlling the kingdoms of the world, if all the authority concerning the governmental systems and governmental kingdoms is delivered unto the devil, then how could we ever have a good king? Wouldn't the devil who's in charge of those things ensure that a good king didn't come to power? See, folks, if the devil is all-powerful like he wants you to think that he is, then there's no way he could stop you from being saved. I said that backwards. Let me rephrase it. I said exactly the opposite of the thing that I intended to do. I attribute that to having been married 39 years. But don't worry, I'm all right. I'm all right. Here's what I'm trying to say. If the devil's in control, then he would always ensure that an evil king would be in place. But we have points in time in our history where kings were good. Leaders were good, godly men. And if the devil was all-powerful like he wants you to think that he is, then no matter how much you might want to be saved, there's no way you would be able to. But he can't keep you from getting saved. 
He can't keep you from using the word. He can't keep you from exercising authority. He wants to influence you not to. He wants to stir up things and people against you so that you don't exercise the word. But he can't stop you from doing it. So unless he deceives you to not use the authority that you've been given, then we can all be strong in the Lord together. No matter what he tries. No matter what he attempts. So here he says that our enemy are these unseen forces, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. Then he goes on to say in verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, because it is this way, in other words. Because our enemy is the unseen enemy. Our enemy is in the spirit realm, not the natural or physical realm. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people in a lot of situations where uh, individuals are yielding to the influence of the devil to become our enemies. But the real source of the problem is in the unseen realm. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Notice that it's a preparation. It's a progression. We choose to do whatever is necessary to be able to stand when the enemy brings it. Uh, affliction, persecution, the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things. We have to be prepared for that. It doesn't automatically happen just because we're children of God. We have to make preparation through the Word, build the Word of God into our hearts to such a degree that when the enemy comes in, when the affliction or trouble or persecution or distraction comes against us, that we're ready to use it. Jesus didn't just start looking into the word when the devil tempted him. The Bible says that at age 12, when Jesus was left behind inadvertently by his parents, he's sitting with the doctors of the law, the Pharisees, the high priest himself, asking them questions that they can't answer and answering questions that they ask him that are beyond the wisdom of any man. At age 12, He's built the Word of God into his life as the foundation for his life. And the Word tells us God expects us to do the same thing. Some of us are getting a little later head start. I sure wish I'd had this information and this knowledge when I was 12. And even before. So that by age 12 I could have built it into my heart and my life. But we are where we are. But no matter where you are or where I am, we can all start together today. Amen. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparations of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench a few of the fiery darts of the wicked. Well, then, folks, if this is, if the Holy Ghost inspired this to be written and God means what he says, there is no way for you to be overcome if you act according to these principles. It's not a matter of are we going to sink or swim. It's not a matter of is this adversity or this affliction going to overcome us. 
This shield of faith quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which are the word of God, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So again, back to verse 11, talking about the wiles of the devil, the deceptiveness of the devil, the deceit of the devil. That's the only road that he has to travel. It's the only road that he has to travel. So if we guard against deceptiveness or his deception or his deceit, if we guard against those things through the knowledge of the word, and that's what this, all this piece of armor is talking about, it's a knowledge of righteousness that puts the righteousness like a, on us like a breastplate. It's the knowledge of the truth. Jesus said in his prayer to the Father in John chapter 17, verse 17, he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So if we gird our loins with the truth of God's word, then there's no way we can be deceived. The word is always the answer for deception. The truth of the knowledge of who we are, what God has done for us and who we are in him is always the defense against deception. One of the pieces of the armor that I really like is where it said, talking about your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Folks, this is based on Paul's experience with Roman soldiers. And the Romans were the world's superpower for one major reason, and that is they had perfected their armor to such a degree that far outstripped any of their enemies or other foreign powers. So when Paul is using the Roman soldier, maybe even the Roman soldier that's standing guard over him while he's in prison, when he uses the armor, the pieces of the armor of the Roman soldier, he's not talking about just some thing that we hide behind, like the shield of faith we hide behind, hoping the devil doesn't come after us. But instead, these shoes that the, the Roman soldiers wore on their feet were spiked shoes for two reasons. One, so that on the battlefield they can get more traction and stand their ground. But the other, the spikes were used as weapons. So what I'm saying is this. The peace of God isn't really manifested in your life until you stake the devil out under your feet. A lot of times people think about peace as just being easygoing calmness. Well, I'll go along with that. But the things that make calmness in the Christian life makes things easygoing is when you've got the devil firmly planted under your foot and stabbing him with these spikes. That's what the peace of God is supposed to be. The defeat of the enemy. Not just him not knowing where you are so he's not bothering you today. <laughs> now I want to refer you to another scripture just to clinch the point. And that's over in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus makes a distinction between those that believe in him and those that become disciples. Verse 31, 
Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him. Now notice these are believers. These are Jews that believed on him. Now at this point in time, believing on him just simply means they believe that he's the Christ. They believe that he's the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. So Jesus says to these people that have already believed, accepted that he's the Christ. He says to them, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Now remember those the parable of the sower sowing the seed. The stony ground were the ones that didn't continue in the word. The thorny ground failed to continue in the knowledge of the word. So Jesus is talking about a lifestyle here. Jesus is talking about something that overcomes affliction and persecution as well as the distraction concerning the cares of this world and the lust of other things and the deceitfulness of riches. So he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Notice it's your attitude toward the word, the relationship that you have with God's word that determines whether or not you're just a believer, saved, part of the family of God, or you're a disciple, one that becomes a partner in God's work. He said to the believers, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. He didn't say they were already disciples because they were saved. Jesus is making a distinction between believers and disciples. Now, folks, what's the, new, what's the Great Commission? The Great Commission is to go and make disciples. We think that means go get people saved. But Jesus made this distinction for a reason. Thank God to get the work that's doing, done in the body of Christ to get people saved. But that's the beginning point, not the end point. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Well, what's the benefit of continuing in the word? And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In other words, having done all to stand, stand. Victory comes through knowledge. Since the devil's only road to travel is deceit or deception. Knowledge of who God is, knowledge of who we are, and knowledge of who the devil is, is of paramount importance to walk in victory. Paramount importance. Now I want you to look with me over to Luke chapter 10. Beginning in verse 1, it says, After these things the Lord appointed seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. He gives them instruction. Skip down to verse 8. Into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as, as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Now, folks, he's, Jesus is giving unsaved men authority over sickness and disease. Do you see that? These men are unsaved. They're believers, certainly. I think we would have to conclude that they're disciples as well, according to Jesus' definition in John chapter 8. We look at healing as being some difficult thing to tap into 
Jesus very simply said, into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you, heal the sick and say that it's part of the kingdom of God. Now, does the kingdom of God ever change? We see in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, where God said, let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the works of our hands. In other words, God's plan for man originally was to have authority over the earth. But when did that change? When did God's plan change? God never changes. The Bible goes to great pains to say that God never changes. There's no variableness in, in him, not even a shadow of turning. He's always the same. So if he's always the same, then his will is always the same. If God's original plan for man was to have authority on the earth, what is God's present plan for man? To have authority on the earth. So when the devil talks about the power of governments being given unto him, it doesn't mean that he's in charge of the whole world. Yeah, but some would say the Bible says the God of this world. It talks about the devil saying the God of this world. Well, folks, there are three words that are used that you need to be aware of. One is the word terra. It's a Greek word that means the physical planet. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's talking about the physical planet. But then there's another word for world. That's the word cosmos. It's a Greek word that means this world system. But the third world, the third word that is used is the one over in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, where it says Satan is the God of this world. That word means time. That word means time. In other words, it says Satan is the God of this world. He is the influencer of the world. Again, he can't force man or keep man from doing anything he wants to do. He can't stop a man following after God. He can't stop a man from being saved. But he does have authority on the earth. A legal right to be here because Adam didn't cast him out or shut him up, but rather fell and, and followed him into deception. So here where it says Satan is the God of this world, it means Satan is the influence of the world for a little time. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus comes to two guys that are possessed with devils. And he speaks to the evil spirit in the man and he commands him to come out. Now the evil spirit says something that's very interesting. He said, have you come, I know who you are. The devil knows who Jesus is. He knew him then, he knows him now. And so he said, I know who you are. Have you come to torment us before the time? The devil knows his time is running out. We read that in Revelation chapter 12, but it's borne out in other places as well. The devil knows his time is short. Now, folks, there's something else that you need to recognize about this. The devil believes in God's word. Amen. The devil knows that God does not lie. And as a result, 
He knows his time is running out. I like the fact that the evil spirits that Jesus talked to, the first ones that, according to Matthew, that he dealt with, was very, very aware of his future. I think it's a good practice for us to remind the devil from time to time of what his future really is. The devil wants to lie to you and me about who God is, just like he lied to Adam and Eve about who God is. The devil wants to lie to us about who we are, just like he lied to Adam and Eve about who they were. And then he also wants, us to, lie, wants to lie to us about who he is, to present himself as something that he's not. But folks, the devil, if you boil it down, the devil really is just a nuisance or an annoyance for a short period of time. He knows that when that time is up, his goose is cooked. I think it would do you good to remind him of that from time to time. So Jesus said, whatsoever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you. And heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Skip down to verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. I like these guys, folks. Jesus didn't say one word in the previous verses about casting out the devil. But they get out there in the real world and start using the name of Jesus against the evil one and finds out that the name of Jesus has power over the devil even though they weren't instructed to use it in that way. The 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Notice the word joy. One of the greatest ways to maintain your joy, the joy of your Christian life, is to be ever conscious of the authority that you have over the devil. Because, folks, no matter what circumstances come against us, no matter how depressed we might be over something that is happening in our lives or something that isn't happening in our lives that we think should, there's something you can always rejoice in. And that is our authority over the devil. It seems to me that the part of the church that's the most depressed are the ones that don't know who they are. So the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. That's what we read about in Revelation 12. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Those two words, power, are not the same word. The first word that's used is a word that's translated uh, in most other places in the New Testament as a, a, a authority. So he said, Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. That word power means ability. We've get, been given authority over the devil's ability. In other words, every believer, and this fits right in with God's original plan. Let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let them not have dominion over the works of our hands. Yeah. 
God's will from the beginning is for man to have and exercise authority in this earth. To have and to exercise authority in this earth. Well, what, how should we use that authority? Well, I don't think any of us would argue or disagree that our authority could be most well used when it's exercised against the enemy. And remember again in the Old Testament that God declares to his people his unchanging law. Numbers chapter 14, verse 28 after the children of Israel have rejected God's leadership into the promised land, God told Moses to say to the people, as truly as I live, as they have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto them. Now, I read this scripture for many years and failed to recognize the importance of it, to be honest with you. I see the principle of faith in there, certainly, and so I accepted that much, but I failed to recognize the importance of the early part of the verse. As truly as I live, as truly as I live, how does God live? There are two outstanding characteristics about the life of God. One is, he's eternal. So the law that he makes, being compared to his life, has to mean this is an eternal law. And the second thing about God's life, we've already mentioned it a little bit, is that God never changes. So that makes this law that he's establishing an eternal, unchanging law. And the eternal, unchanging law that God reveals to his people is that I will do unto you even as you have spoken in my ears. Now why is that? Because man has authority. Whether he uses it or not, he has authority. So here Jesus is saying to the 70, that authority is over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now remember the law of God, the eternal unchanging law of God. As you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. I think we could all agree that there's a lot of the church that has authority that they're not using. And if God said that he will deal with us according to the words that we speak into our ear, into his ears, then that has to mean that the spoken word is the exercise of authority. Jesus said it this way in Mark eleven twenty three, He said, you'll have what you say. Whatever you say from your heart, without doubting, You'll have what you say. You'll have what you say. Folks, it's that confession of God's word that keeps us from being deceived. I think we can look around and recognize that we're certainly being lied to. We're being lied to by our leaders. We were told that there was a deadly, 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 deadly disease called coronavirus. Now, not only is this a deadly disease, the deadliest disease of all time, the kind of deadly disease that you've got to 
tank your own economy and make people that are healthy stay home. This disease is not only so deadly and so dreadful, but it's also the smartest disease that there's ever been. Because it knows not to infect people that riot. But its deadliness is beyond comprehension for us to come to church with it. Folks, there's so much about this stuff that's bogus. There's so much about this stuff that's being um, politically motivated rather than science-driven. In March, when the lockdown began, this most deadly of all diseases was claiming 52 people per day. 52 people per day were dying. That was just a little bit less than yellow fever. Now, who knew yellow fever was still an issue? I certainly didn't. The media certainly didn't let us know. Because it was so important that we avoid this most deadly of all diseases, this coronavirus. Folks, I want you to realize something. Throughout the history of mankind, even dating back to things that happened in Europe, the Black Plague that claimed millions of lives in Europe, nobody ever even considered tanking the nation's economy as a solution. Where did we get that? I see that as the devil stepping up his efforts. Now we've got other things going on around us too. Maybe one of the biggest lies was the Russian collusion hoax that led to impeachment. We were certainly lied to about that, weren't we? We had people that were under oath saying privately that there was no evidence of it whatsoever. But then they'd go out in public and say that they have the evidence that proves it for sure. Folks, the level of lies, the craftiness of the lie certainly seems to be increasing as we go forward. I'm sure we're not through with the devil's deception in this regard either because they're going to come up with some kind of vaccine that they say cures the individual and then it's going to be a fight over can the government mandate you to take it. The press, the media around us is pushing every angle that they possibly can to keep this deadly disease as the great killer in the minds of many. Everybody knows, everybody in government, everybody in science, everybody knows that the count of the number of cases of this coronavirus is bogus. 
Everybody knows that the number of deaths attributed to this coronavirus is bogus. Well, why are they trying to inflate the numbers? Why aren't they just what they are? Because of the devil's influence over men concerning government. It all comes back to the same thing, folks. Everything that's going on in this world around us is taking place as a result of the devil's war against the people of God. Everything. Absolutely everything. Now let me show you a couple other things here concerning authority. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Beginning in verse 10. And Jesus was teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath. In one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. And was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her he, said, he called her to him. And said unto her. Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And he said unto the people, There are six days which men ought to work, and then therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. Then the Lord asked, answered him, and said, Thou hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these eighteen years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Jesus gives two reasons why this woman ought to be loosed. One was that she was a child of Abraham, a daughter of Abraham. She was a Jew by, uh, uh, her ancestors were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in other words. And the second reason he gave was because the devil had bound her 18 years. Now, folks, this reveals to us, this was not a woman that came to him. This reveals to us God's attitude towards sickness and disease. And I'm not even sure if you can call this a sickness or a disease. It's certainly an infirmity. There was a spirit of infirmity that was enforcing this thing somehow or another. But this isn't like she's got cancer or rheumatoid arthritis and is healed from it. This is simply breaking the power of the devil over her body. Now let me ask you a question. You think this evil spirit that had held her bound for these 18 years wanted to leave? You think the devil wanted to give up on his power over her body and over her life? Just like that? And Jesus had every right as he was teaching in the synagogue to lament and say, well, if, it, if this woman had just come to me and asked me to heal her then that would have given me an opportunity to do something good in her life 
but Jesus brings her to him. She doesn't exercise any faith in this thing that we can see that's identified in any way. She's just in the right place at the right time, which happened to be church. Folks, great things happen when you come to church expecting God to move. If there's any positive that comes from this coronavirus hoax, or, well, I hate to call it a hoax. It is a killer disease, and people have lost loved ones to it. But it's certainly not what the news media tells us it is. But if there's anything good that's come from this, it's awakened certain people. Now, I'm not talking about being woke like the culture talks about being woke. But I believe it's begun to open some people's eyes to the work of the devil against the church. I really like coming to church on Sunday mornings. Since this lockdown thing I'm talking about. And the reason for that is because I know the people that are here are going to want to be here. Nobody's trying to satisfy mama to come. If you go to church in these days, it's because you want to. Well, that's good ground for God to work. And I firmly believe that there'll be displays of God's power as a natural course the further and further we go toward the end. See, folks, when this coronavirus scare doesn't have the intended impact, when it doesn't keep President Trump from being reelected, then what are they going to throw at us? What comes next? And believe me, from now to the end, when Jesus returns for the church, there's always going to be something next. Mark that down. These are perilous times but not perilous for those who choose to be strong in the Lord. Amen. These are going to be fun times for those of us who know who we are in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, folks, I'm so far away from what I planned to speak on this morning. <laughs> I don't know where I am anymore. Let's close with Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 22. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had but was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, remember the unchanging and eternal law of God? As they have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto them. She said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. 
Now, here's the contrast between the woman we just saw over in Luke chapter 10. Or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 13. And this woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. The woman with the spirit of infirmity just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And Jesus, showing the mercy of God upon all who are sick. Jesus said she ought to be turned loose. Even though this is a Sabbath day. Because she's a daughter of Abraham. Well, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 says, If you're Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise? So every child of God has a father, a loving father, a heavenly father that wants them to be free, maybe even more than they want to be. If you're Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? This woman, however, comes to Jesus in, in great faith, great enough faith to have to fight through the crowd to get to him. She's heard of the things that he's done. She must have even heard about people being healed by touching his garment because that's what she puts her faith in. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. How could she have faith for that if she hadn't heard that that's working? So when she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. She didn't feel anything until after she had believed and acted. We know she believed because she spoke deliverance under the condition of touching his garment and then because she believed that we see it reflected in her actions to go where he was and touch his clothes and Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue that word virtue means power had gone out of him touched him uh, turned him about in the press and said who touched my clothes and his disciples said unto him thou seest the multitude thronging thee and sayest thou who touched me and he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. The disciples are saying, everybody's touching you. How can you single somebody out because everybody's fighting to get close enough to you to touch? Now, folks, is she the only sick person in this crowd? If she is, it's the first crowd we have record of that there weren't anybody else. And if, they haven't, if the people thronging Jesus haven't heard that he is healing the sick or haven't heard that he had healed the sick then what are they thronging him for? Even if they're there just to hear his teaching, why are they jockeying for position to touch his garment or touch his person? We don't have any record that anything happened when people touched Jesus or touched his clothes other than healing. So why is, why is this multitude thronging Jesus to touch him? If they don't want something from him. Now the incredible thing about this. Is that everybody else in this multitude that touched him. No matter what their reason for. Touching him would be. And I again I have to believe. From the examples that we have. In the other places in the gospels. That a lot of people are trying to touch him to be healed. 
But no matter what their intent, no matter what their desire might be, nobody else in this crowd gets healing. Nobody in this crowd, nobody else in this crowd beside the woman with the issue of blood receives healing for her physical body. Now her action looks like the same thing as the action of everybody else in the crowd. You can't always tell from the outside what's in somebody's heart. But everybody in this crowd seems to be doing the same thing that the woman did. But she got results. Now some people would look at that and say, well, see, that's how God is. We believe God can heal. We even believe God does heal on occasion, but you never know who it's going to be. Well, Jesus did. Jesus knew who it was going to be. It was going to be the person that reached out and touched him in faith. He looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. So accepting what we hear about Jesus and his works, believing in our heart by saying with our mouth that we can have the same thing that we've heard others have received, and then acting on that as if it's true already, that principle receives from God. Now, if that principle doesn't work for everybody equally, then God is a respecter of persons and the Bible is a lie. If these principles of faith don't work for everybody equally, then the Bible is a lie where it said God is no respecter of persons. He'd want better for you than he'd want for me. If it works for you and it doesn't work for me, then God can't be the same toward all of his children. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler, of the, the ruler of the synagogue's house, certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. He's got to stop this guy from saying anything that, contra that uh, contradicts what he said before. Remember what he said before? Before the woman with the issue of blood came upon him, he said, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. Come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. Now Jesus, as well as the father, hears the news that the, his daughter is dead. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, saying, Save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he took the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Now, folks, if Jesus healed the sick, and in this case raised the dead girl from, or raised the little girl from the dead, if that was not to prove that he was the Son of God, then Jesus is working contrary to God's purpose. 
which makes him a sinner and not a savior. And if Jesus did these healing works, again in this case, raised a little girl from the dead. If he did it to prove that he was the son of God, why does he tell him not to tell anybody? Now I've heard people in their idiocy say things like, well, he was a master at reverse psychology. Looks to me like he's the master of death. Jesus didn't want people to think that he was the healer because he was the son of God. He simply wanted to show God's attitude toward sickness and disease in every respect. Now, do we have any record that the Father said anything after Jesus said, be not afraid, only believe? They've still got a ways to go. Jesus turns back the rest of the crowd except for Peter, James, and John. To be real honest with you, I'm not sure why he kept those guys around. They don't seem to be too much help in, in difficulties and trouble. But he sends everybody else away. And I would surmise that because of the Father's unwillingness to speak against what he's already said. What he already said was, come lay your hands on my daughter that she may be healed and shall live. Say unto the people, God told Moses, as they have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. This father got exactly what he said. When Jesus came in, he took her by the hand and said, damsel, arise. And she arose. Now stop and think about this for a minute. Now she's living. But there had to be healing in that same action that Jesus took toward her. Because whatever it was she had just took her life. So if Jesus just raises her from the dead and doesn't heal her body, then she's back in the original condition that she was. Whatever this thing is will take her life again. But the same act of faith that raised the girl from the dead was the act of faith that healed the girl's body. Or we'll turn it around and say it the other way. The same act of faith, the same power of God that healed her body, raised her back up from the dead. And the father got exactly from God, got exactly what he said. Just like the woman with the issue of blood did. As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. I don't know about for you folks, but confession has taken on a whole new meaning for me in this lockdown thing. We're past the point of playing church. It's time to put on our big boy pants and pray about things that really count. I'm not saying it's not important to pray for our own needs. That is important. But we've got plenty of scripture that identifies that God cares about us so that once we ask in faith for whatever we need, we can move on and pray about bigger things. And that really is the act of faith. Paul said to the, in the, to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, we which have believed do enter into rest. 
It doesn't say we which have believed do keep praying about the same thing over and over and over again. There's a rest of faith that opens you up to be used of God in other ways. So, folks, the only real question is how far does our authority go? Well, we know for a certainty that it covers ourselves. There's no argument to be made with the fact that we have authority over the devil in our own lives, over our own bodies, over our own minds. The only question is how much further out does it extend than that? Now that might vary. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16 verse 15, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. Well, you can't cast the devil out if you don't have authority over him. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Notice how Jesus attaches that speaking with other tongues with the exercise of authority. It's time for us to make speaking with tongues an integral part of our lives if you haven't already. The further and further we go toward the end, the worse and worse men get. The more and more that lawlessness rises in our nation, the more important it is for us to pray the divine will of God in other tongues. Then he went on to say, they will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Divine protection. And finally it says, concerning those that believe in his name, they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Folks, without a doubt, without any question whatsoever, you've been given authority to tell the devil to stop in his maneuvers. We have been granted authority to tell the devil that's as far as you go. Jesus said, whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We have authority over the devil, over sickness, over disease, over infirmities, over the work that he's doing in our nation. And it's time for us to rise up and stand together. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. We recognize, Father, that these are days, perilous times, as Paul said, but that these are concerning us. These are days of glory. Father, you have equipped us with the word of God in your name. And that equipment provides for us everything that we need to stop the devil's maneuvers in our lives. Satan, we take authority over you. I command you to take your hands off of the bodies of everybody that considers this church their home. Satan, 
cease and desist in your maneuvers. We say that the life of God that indwells us drives out every trace of every symptom of sickness and disease from our bodies. Now, Father, we've got your promise, your eternal and unchanging promise that you will deal with us according to the way that we've spoken into your ears. We speak healing into the ears of God. We speak life under your ears, Father. We speak faith to overcome and be victorious in every area of our lives. And we say, Father, be it unto us even as you have spoken. Therefore, we claim victory over circumstances. We claim prosperity over lack. We claim healing over sickness and disease. And Father, we thank you for making it so. You said that the prayer of faith shall save or heal or deliver and that you will raise us up. We thank you, Lord, for raising us up. Father, it's so good to know no matter what attack we might be under, how severe it is or how long it's lasted, the power in the name of Jesus is greater and the word of God in our, in our mouths from our heart brings that victory, brings that deliverance, brings that healing in Jesus' precious name. So we lift our hands and worship you, Father. We worship you for our healing, for our deliverance. We worship you for keeping us by your word. And we will always do so. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Well, folks, as Beth mentioned, we're going to have a few minutes of